on this final Sunday of Epiphany, we are reminded of the power of God through the story of the transfiguration. Jesus says to his disciples, truly I tell you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see that the kingdom of God has come with power. Let's just consider how powerful God is for a moment. As Christians, we believe in the living God. We believe that God created everything that exists from subatomic particles to stars and everything in between. Just think about the sun in our solar system for a moment. We could fit 1.3 million Earths inside the volume of our sun. I saw a video recently, my kids were showing me these different things, and, and it, it, it kind of depicted the Earth compared to the other planets in our solar system, and then the planets compared to our sun, and then our sun compared to other suns in the, in the Milky Way galaxy. The largest known sun or star in our galaxy is one billion kilometers wide. You could fit five billion of our Earths, or sorry, of our suns inside the biggest known sun. I mean, that's just huge. And then there are an estimated 100 billion stars just in our galaxy alone. And then there's an estimated 20 million, that's probably a very um, conservative number, galaxies in our universe. Think about the amount of energy it would take to create our universe and then to sustain it so that it doesn't fall apart. The God of the Bible is the living God who created all things and he holds all things together, we're told, by his powerful word. Just imagine the power that exists within a being who can create by simply speaking. Let there be stars, let there be sky, let there be ocean, let there be land, trees, birds, fish, animals, and then human beings created in our image. When we speak of God, we are speaking of the, the being who, who put everything in place. When God speaks, what he says happens. His words go forth and accomplish the purpose for which he intends. We cannot comprehend God in his essence. This is what we mean when we speak of God being holy. God is separate. He's distinct from his creation. He's different than we are, which is why he condescends to make himself known to us in and through his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus is the invisible God made visible. He's the Holy Spirit embodied. He's the Word of God made flesh. And when we look at Jesus, we see the power and the glory of God revealed. Up to this point in Mark's Gospel, Jesus is manifesting the power of God through his words and deeds. He started back in Mark chapter 1, verse 15, when he comes out of the wilderness after having resisted 
temptation from the evil one, and he enters into Galilee proclaiming the gospel. He says, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent, which just means change the way that you think, change your minds, turn to me and believe what I'm telling you. Believe this good news. And then Jesus starts bringing the kingdom of God near by healing the sick, casting out demons, raising the dead, calming storms, feeding thousands of people with only five loaves of bread and two fish, walking on water. Essentially, Jesus is saying the kinds of things that only God would say, and he's doing the kinds of things that only God can do. And then we get to Mark 9, our chapter today. Something very significant happens. The power of God is manifested in Jesus' body. Look at verse 2. Jesus took Peter, James, and John up to a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured. He was metamorphosized. He was changed before them. His clothes became dazzling white, such as no one on earth could bleach them. This is the only place in the Gospels where Jesus literally shines. In Matthew's recording of the transfiguration, he includes his face shone like the sun. Peter, James, and John experienced the power and the brilliance of God's glory in the face of Jesus Christ. What Jesus was on the inside is revealed in his body on the outside. In him there is no sin or darkness. He's perfectly pure. He's radiantly beautiful. Peter, James, and John see Jesus changed. And then Mark tells us that Moses and Elijah appear talking with him. Why Moses and Elijah? Well, Moses is the one in and through whom God rescued his people from oppression, and he gives them the law as a way of separating them from all the other nations in the world, forming them into a people who would trust God and reflect his character. And Elijah is like the power prophet. Through him, God reveals his strength over all the other false gods, especially the false god Baal, which is a real problem at that time. And God taught Elijah how to listen to his still, small voice, which, as it turns out, takes a lot of power. Jesus talking with Moses and Elijah is the picture of fulfillment. All that God had promised through the law and the prophets in the Old Testament is now being brought to its completion. Now, when Peter sees all of this, he suggests that they build three tents for these three important people. Peter is known for speaking out of turn. Back in chapter 8, he had uh, been told by Jesus that Jesus needed to go to Jerusalem and that Jesus would suffer and he would die and he would rise on the third day. But Peter took him aside and rebuked Jesus saying, never, Lord, this is not going to happen to you. Peter could not accept a crucified Messiah. It wasn't in his worldview his vision of the kingdom of God did not include death. He expected victory and power without suffering and pain. 
He wanted to stay on the mountaintop, basking in the light of God's glory, rather than go back down into the valley surrounded by the brokenness and the struggle of everyday life. Whether Peter was aware of it or not, he was trying to prevent Jesus from the cross. The last time Peter tried to suggest Jesus from going to the cross, Jesus called him Satan and said to him, you don't have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. This time, Jesus doesn't rebuke Peter. God the Father does. In verse 7, then a cloud appeared and enveloped them, and a voice came from the cloud saying, this is my son, whom I love, my beloved. Listen to him. This is really the climax of the story. The father affirms his love for his son, speaking from a cloud. Clouds in the Bible, they represent the Shekinah glory of God's presence. The presence of God descended on Mount Sinai when Moses received the law, and then again when he met with God in the tent of meeting, and again in the tabernacle after it was built, and then again when Solomon completed the temple. The cloud of God's presence, it both conceals and reveals. The cloud reminds us that God is beyond our understanding. God is spirit. He is mystery hidden from our eyes. The cloud conceals, yet it reveals. For out of the cloud, God the Father speaks. This is my son. He doesn't say, these are my sons, referring to Elijah, Moses, Peter, James, and John. He says, this is my son, singular. This is my unique son. He is the exact radiance of his father. There is no one else like Jesus Christ. This is my son whom I love. We have heard this voice of the Father before at Jesus' baptism, speaking almost the exact same thing. The Father loves his Son. The Father shares all that he has with his Son in and through the Holy Spirit. The whole of Jesus' life, every emotion that he had, every thought he thought, every decision that he made flowed out of his relationship with his father. The father loves his son, and the son loves his father. All throughout Jesus' life and ministry, he speaks of this love in terms of union and obedience. I and my father are one. I am in my father, and my father is in me. I only say what I hear my father saying, and I only do what I see my father doing. We cannot understand who Jesus is apart from his relationship with his father. This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. The father doesn't say listen to me as if God the father had something different to say to us apart from what he's saying through his son. No, the father is directing our attention to his son and he wants us to listen to him. Listen. It means both pay attention and obey. When we pay attention to Jesus, when we intentionally cultivate space to be with him, and then to let his words 
soak into our minds and into our hearts, we find that over time we want to do what he says. At first it seems like hard work, cultivating this space with Jesus, paying attention to him. We need to train ourselves to do so, similar to the way that we would train to get better at playing the piano or learning how to play soccer or uh, a new language. As we begin practicing being with Jesus, the more we are filled with his life and his goodness and the more strength we find to walk in obedience to God's will. After the voice of the Father speaks, the cloud is removed and Jesus is there by himself with his disciples. And as they come down the mountain, Jesus tells them not to tell anyone about what they had seen until after he is raised from the dead. The transfiguration is a foretaste of the resurrection and the ascension and everlasting glory. But resurrection and ascension and everlasting glory come only after the cross. Jesus did not want anyone to get, few, to get confused on the order. Death must come first, then resurrection. Death is the gateway to resurrection power. This is what the first apostles understood. Uh, for example, uh, the apostle Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. The cross is powerful because it redefines our understanding of power. True power is not about being the strongest or the loudest or seeking to control and manipulate others by our words, or working hard to make a name for ourselves by enforcing our agendas to establish our own little kingdoms. True power comes through faith in Jesus. On the cross, Jesus died for our sins, and he died to sin. He did something that we cannot replicate. We cannot, in, we cannot um, imitate his dying for our sins. That, that's a finished work. But we are all called to imitate his dying to sin. And we see him dying to sin most clearly when he struggled in the garden of Gethsemane. Jesus was tempted, just like we are, to avoid the pain of suffering. To, it, for him, it was unique because he was taking upon himself all of our sin. What Jesus experienced was something that was so much more profound than the struggle that we go through. But we still struggle, don't we? Jesus prayed, Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but your will be done. The Father answered his prayer. 
and strengthened him to do what needed to be done. You and I, we will never experience the same level of suffering that Jesus experienced, but we will face situations in our lives where our faith is tested and we have a choice. We can either choose to rely on our own power or we can, by faith, turn to Jesus and let go of our lives, deny ourselves, and experience his power. We all face obstacles in life, and it's going to look different for each one of us. It could be a challenging relationship that you're facing, or a bad habit that you're just having trouble breaking, or maybe the overwhelming pain of loss and grief. When we come at these things in our own strength, relying in our own resources, things don't usually go so well. This is where denying ourselves becomes very practical. But so often, we don't remember when we're in the throes of whatever challenge we're facing, we don't remember to turn to Jesus. <laughs> we have this way of uh, conveniently forgetting when we're, t when we're being tempted. And then we find ourselves giving in and struggling in the darkness and despair. And this is why we need to practice. We need to practice denying ourselves regularly so that when we are faced with these challenging situations in life, we will know what to do instinctively. Instead of, instead of relying on ourselves, we need to learn to trust in Jesus and wait for him to act. Wait for him to, to show up and help us out. This is really what living by faith is all about. Putting ourselves in situations where we need God to show up, otherwise we're going to fall flat on our faces. This is what this season of Lent is all about. For 40 days leading up to the death and resurrection of Jesus, we practice things like fasting and silence and solitude. The idea is to learn to deny ourselves in little ways so that when we face the challenges of everyday life, we will learn to turn to Jesus and experience his power working in us. It takes practice. <coughs> the transfiguration is a foretaste of the resurrection. It's a picture of fulfillment. All that God has promised through the law and the prophets is fulfilled in Jesus, for he is the unique, beloved son of the living God. But before resurrection and ascension and everlasting glory comes the cross. The cross is powerful because it shatters all of our misconceptions of power. And as we listen to Jesus, we hear him saying, trust me, walk with me, keep your eyes fixed on me, and I will share the same power that brought the universe into existence with you. Whatever you are going through right now, I can handle it. I will help you resist temptation and do the right thing. I will purify your hearts so that you begin to see my Father everywhere. I will comfort you as you grieve. I will fill you with my love, joy, peace, and all the other fruits of the Spirit. I will heal your aching soul. I will draw near to you when you draw near to me. 
I will supply your every need. If you will trust me, you will see the kingdom of God come near in power. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we acknowledge that you are here with us this morning by your Holy Spirit. We thank you for this picture that we're given through scripture of you glorified, transfigured, pulsating with the power of God, which is beyond our understanding. And yet you come to us through a still, small voice, like we see in the story of Elijah. Lord, help us to be still and to hear your voice speaking to us. You know what each person needs from you this morning. And we ask that you would empower us to be with you and to learn from you and then to do what it is that we hear you saying to us. We ask that you would do all of this in your holy, precious, glorious name. Amen. Please kneel or remain seated for the prayers. In the power of the Holy Spirit and in union with Christ,